Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more, more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. And I have a special offer for Americano listeners. If you want to subscribe to the Spectator's US edition, which is brilliant, by the way, I edit it, you can go to www.spectator.us forward slash subscribe and take advantage of our special Americano offer. If you insert the code Americano in capital letters like Donald Trump on Twitter, you will get 5% off. Please do so. I'm joined this morning by Bill Barnard, who is the author of Dixiecrats and Democrats and a political historian. Bill, Super Tuesday turned out to be a very good night indeed for Joe Biden. I don't think there's any other way of looking at it. Would you agree? I don't think anyone had predicted or thought it was even possible that he would carry Massachusetts and and um, Texas, for example, and be in the running in Maine as well, uh, and sweeping the southern states. I think it was an absolute uh, uh, bolt from the blue that he did so extraordinarily well. And I, I'm surprised by the, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about how the moderate lane, as people call it, needed to coalesce quickly in order to stop Sanders. Have you been surprised at the speed with which that's happened? Not really. You know, most candidates, yes, there has to have a a sizable ego to be involved in presidential politics, to be sure. But most candidates are fairly realistic and willing to make judgments that are in the best interest of not only themselves, but their campaigns and the country. And I think when it became clear that uh, Klobuchar and, and Buttigieg, for example, had no a clear way to victory. They did the thing which one would expect them to do. They did it a bit, perhaps a bit more quickly than one would expect. And I think the reason for that was that the there was an urgency there because Super Tuesday was right after the South Carolina primary. And I suppose that a more striking thing, perhaps even than the candidates, is the speed with which the voters seem to have hopped across to Biden. I mean, in Minnesota, I think he didn't even he hasn't even appeared, and yet he carried the state. Well, he didn't appear in Massachusetts either, or spend any significant portion of money. He had no money to spend. Uh, I, I'm not sure it's so much of a surprise. If you, uh, in my view, the rise of Bloomberg, for example, his meteoric rise before the um, debates was a tribute to two things. Uh, One, his uh, great command of resources and thus his ability to command the airwaves. And secondly, the fact that most Democrats, or many Democrats anyway, were desperate to find someone who could beat uh, Donald Trump. And they didn't, many of them didn't think that Bernie Sanders could do that. They may may have had other reservations about his policy positions or his ability to get things done, uh, as evidenced by his, his career over the last uh, 20 years in in Congress. So I don't think it was all that uh, surprising that when the signal was sent, in a sense, that this is the person who's going to be carrying that more moderate anti-Sanders banner, uh, that they move very quickly. Well, let's talk a bit about Bloomberg, because I suppose the interesting question is what happens to him now? I I think uh, he didn't have a a disastrous night. I mean, if you consider that he's starting from scratch, as it were. But he didn't have a particularly good night either. And I mean, no, he, he won uh, delegates in, in American Samoa and he's still above the threshold at the moment in Texas and in California. And so may well command delegates there. Uh, but it was not a good night. It certainly was not what he expected. His, the premise of his campaign was that Biden would prove to be so weak in the end that he would do poorly on Super Tuesday and, and um, 
Bloomberg could come in and pick up the pieces. Well, that strategy just has not worked uh, for him. So Bloomberg is a, is a supremely rational human being, and I think he was genuinely in in this not for ego, though it does take some of that to be sure, uh, but not so much for ego, but really because he felt that there needed to be someone to oppose Sanders and someone who could go on to beat Trump. And I think his campaign has already signaled that they're going to reassess uh, after the results of yesterday, uh, and he may very well choose to withdraw, or he may think that at least for the moment, uh, it's better for him to stay in, because if, for example, in a state, uh, given the complicated way we divide these delegates a statewide basis and by congressional district, so long as he can stay in and get 15% in a state, he will basically be taking delegates away from Sanders rather than from, from Biden. Uh, but that, well, but that's I saw uh, Vanity Fair reported, I think, yesterday that um, after the South Carolina results, some of Bloomberg's aides were already pressuring him to step down, and he's so far resisted. From what you just said, it doesn't sound like you think hanging in there would be an act of selfishness in regards to the establishment. Well, you have to look at the states that are coming up. And if you are certain that Biden will be above the threshold in all of them, as I think from now one can assume, then the presence of Bloomberg there doesn't necessarily detract from taking uh, delegates away from Sanders. But I think the more likely thing is that he would assume that uh, his votes would mostly go to um, Biden and he would indeed uh, decide to, to suspend his campaign. And do you think this uh, speed with which the race seems to have sort of shaped up so well for Biden has meant that people are quickly forgetting the glaring flaws that seemed very obvious a couple of weeks ago in his candidacy? I mean, uh, one doesn't want to be uncharitable, but he doesn't seem to have a very firm grasp of facts, details, language. I know he has a speech impediment, but the signs are a bit more ominous than just a stammer, I would say. Well, I think that momentarily, at least, certainly in the glow of the victory, there's probably uh, less of an awareness, at least immediately, of the kinds of attacks that he will face from Sanders, but more particularly from, from Trump, were he to be the nominee in the end. Uh, and there are problems there, but most of them are known, most of them have been known, um, and there is a kind of statute of, of limitations involved with uh, politicians that once something has been known and people have absorbed it, they're no longer fascinated by it, uh, and they tend to overlook that. I think that was true, for example, in some of the uh, earlier races that Biden ran uh, in when he was chosen as vice president, when the issue of plagiarism came up again. Uh, well, he, he didn't say anything that was untrue in that interview where he pointed out that he was the first of his, of his family to go to college and all the rest, but there was a remarkable similarity to the way this story had been told by a British politician. But I think most people, they know Joe Biden. He's a known quantity to them. Uh, and they know his faults, and they know some of his, and they're reassured by some of his strengths. Uh, so I don't think it necessarily will be all that detrimental necessarily, but uh, they, they will very much reappear, those issues and those charges, uh, in a general campaign against Trump, who has never shown any hesitancy to use even the most outlandish of charges. Let me, let me try my uh, perhaps rather eccentric theory on you that Americans, in their great kindness, uh, rather like doddery candidates. <laughs> I mean, Reagan in his second term was famously pretty much gaga for a lot of it. Trump is not across the details by any stretch of the imagination, but he's very popular. And then Bloomberg and Sanders, I would say, are not exactly 
on the ball, but they seem to be able to win votes. And then, of course, Biden, you know, part of his appeal is that he's kind of a plonker. He's Uncle Joe. He's Uncle Joe, yeah. yeah. Well, it's an interesting uh, notion. On the other hand, the Democratic Party typically has been one that sought out new leaders, people who seem to be the, uh, rooted in the future rather than the past. But but they do seem to be reassured, certainly, by Joe Biden. And, and maybe it is after the uh, uncertain times that we've been living through and the great uh, turmoil and, and toxicity that we've seen in American politics, maybe people do seek some reassurance uh, and that the old ways, going back to the, an, an older way of looking at things and dealing with people uh, might be advisable. On the other hand, uh, while Biden gives that kind of reassurance and the return of, and a reassurance of return of civility to American politics and to a more normal way of conducting business, on the other hand, he, he has to enunciate a forward-looking policy if he's going to capture the people that he needs to add to the coalition that he's building. I think that's true, for example, with the Hispanic community. I think that's true with the young, where he's shown where he's had some weakness, although they have not turned out in the numbers and to the degree that Sanders certainly hoped that they would. So I think that there is a challenge facing um, Biden as well, and that is to articulate a forward-looking program that people can be drawn to. It's not enough simply to list the various and sundry things that you would do, much as that is needed and much as he is doing and did in his his speech last night. But he still has to articulate this larger vision of what his presidency would mean to the American people. And if we take personalities out of it, it's starting to look now a bit like 2020 will be a repeat of 2016 in that you have Sanders, the insurgent, threatening the democratic establishment but the democratic establishment finds a way to survive and the candidate who wins the nomination promises a sort of continuation of obama era politics let's call it and then ultimately has to face trump and if it's a repeat of 2016 again that would mean that trump would win well do you think i'm on something there is is accurate in that uh, it is reminiscent, that is, the insurgent candidate, and then perhaps some bitterness if he d- fails to get it, uh, and the reluctance of his supporters then to move in support of the um, of the nominee. On the other hand, the one thing that does unite Democrats <clears throat> across the board is their negative feelings toward Donald Trump and their desire to defeat him and deny him a second term. Uh, so I think that, in a way, too, Biden does not suffer as Hillary Clinton did from a, a personal animus that a number of voters uh, had towards her. Uh, that's not true with Biden. Biden generally has very favorable ratings, especially among Democrats. And he's been around. People know him. They're comfortable with him. He's a reassuring person. So I don't think necessarily that you will find that uh, group of people peeling off as they did in t- 2016, at least to the extent that they did. And one one group of Americans that seems uh, incredibly enthusiastic about Biden are African-Americans who yesterday we saw amazing numbers in some states coming out to support Biden. What do you think explains his appeal to African-Americans? I think it's something that's quite hard for British people in particular to understand. Well, he has long been a presence in from his role on the Judiciary Committee in the debates over civil rights. He is not a, a Johnny-come-lately to that issue. And he has long as well paid close attention, especially to um, Democratic parties in the South, uh, which have a significant degree, a significant number of, of black members, and in fact a majority in South Carolina. 
so he's long been a presence there. He's long been known. He's all, he's long gone on speaking in in the South to black groups as well as to other groups. And so he's a known quantity, and they he's been by their side time and time again in in various on various issues. The problem that he faces at this point is that he needs to begin to garner some of that same kind of support from the Hispanic community. Interesting. Which so far seems to be going towards Sanders. Well, that's right, and, and it sh- but it shows how movement can occur. Sanders got very little support in the Hispanic community in 2016, but he has spent the last four years cultivating that community and reaching out and developing relationships, and that has come home uh, to his benefit uh, in the votes in California and Texas in particular uh, last night. So Biden faces a challenge in, in replicating that, and, and has to do it very, very quickly if he can. And there are some elements in his in his background that would be helpful, his work on comprehensive immigration reform, for example. But it's a a challenge that he faces and a task he has to turn to. And Sanders is by no means beaten, and he's going to keep fighting for a while longer. If that fight gets, as as hinted in in both their speeches last night, that fight could get quite unpleasant, and Sanders could go after Biden on things that really could hurt him with the democratic base, his support for the Iraq war, his uh, lobbying on behalf of credit card companies. It's interesting with African-American voters too, because he has quite a controversial record on criminal justice reform, doesn't he? Well, you're talking about the crime bill that passed and he was instrumental in in helping to pass. In retrospect, that has become rather an issue of of some magnitude. On the other hand, at the time when it passed, it was supported by the black community and by by the black uh, congressional caucus and all the rest. So it's hard, in a sense, if you can have time to explain the issue, to see that that would necessarily hurt him all that much. But you don't think you don't think on those other issues that Biden is, aside from his mental abilities, he, on those other issues, Biden is a, is a flawed candidate to be representing the emerging left. He he is a flawed candidate to be sure. All candidates are flawed in one way or another. On the other hand, he, if in fact it does become a campaign of of great vitriol and all the rest, in one sense, that's will hurt Sanders. Because in in the with suburban whites in particular and suburban women in particular, that kind of campaigning does not wear well. If Sanders makes repeatedly the same points that he's made made over a long period of time, it's not necessarily going to be all that convincing. I think to many suburban voters, and that's where uh, Biden's great strength already is. Yes, because he's he's making quite a play of saying that he wants to bring back civility and decency into politics. Indeed. And Sanders has some problems in particular states as well that are upcoming. Michigan, for example, uh, he has proposed, although there's been very little conversation about it, he's proposed that the United States ban the sale of any of petrol cars or cars that use any kind of fossil fuel. And I don't know how that's going to sit with the Ford and the uh, other workers in Michigan in particular who may not be may not be able to think that that change can be made quite so quickly and that their future might be if, impacted. Uh, and another interesting area where Sanders seems to be failing is on healthcare because it was thought that Medicare for All was a kind of winning position in 2020. Uh, but what we might have seen yesterday is that quite a lot of Democrat voters are keen to keep Obamacare and are worried about what might be replace it. I think that's true. And it, it's a comment on the kind of 
insistence on consistency that, that Sanders has, that he's been able to not merely endorse the principle of universal health care, which all the Democratic candidates uh, endorse, but insist that there's only one way to get it. Uh, and the notion that you take away the private insurance at this point of 160 million Americans has not sold very well. Medicare for all is a good bumper sticker. Uh, and it's a good, and it sounds good, and people believe it because they like Medicare. But the position that Biden took and that Buttigieg took, which is Medicare for all who want it, uh, and which will put the country on a glide path to a single payer system, but nonetheless not force the kind of uh, overhaul, immediate overhaul and upheaval that the, the uh, Sanders proposal would entail. And I think that's evidence of the kind of uh, ideological rigidity that has hurt Sanders and that will continue to hurt him, particularly on that, that issue, and particularly with, with many unionized workers who have health care programs that have been negotiated by their unions and that are very good and they, don't, they are reluctant to see any change in those programs. Bill, it's all incredibly fascinating. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, and I hope you'll come on again before the Democratic race is finished. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano. And I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite. (laughs) 